Today on Blue 58, well, that happened. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. And I say that because it's true. I'm happy to be with you here, regardless of the circumstances. And boy, do I wish the circumstances were different. It took me a long time to prep this post-game podcast, partly because uh, it took a lot longer to get the kid off the bed. We messed up his whole dinner, bath time, bedtime routine because of the time of the game. And uh, it just it just took a while to get him squared away tonight. Secondly, I started and restarted and reshaped and redid what I wanted to talk about a whole bunch of different times. And I haven't even taken a look at my game notes yet. It hurts. It stings. It's There's no good way to talk about this game because... The long and short of it is that the Packers shot themselves in the foot. Well, it's not so much they shot themselves in the foot. They shot themselves in the head. And when you do that, you die. It's hard to say that they did anything other than squander a golden opportunity. Among the many things that he said in this game, many of them typical of Troy Aikman, there was one thing that has stuck with me a little bit. Troy Aikman said that there is often more pressure to make it to the Super Bowl than there is to play in the Super Bowl itself, and I think that is true. Once you're there, you can say you were there. And it's one game, anything can happen. But if you lose in the championship game, if you lose in the game to go to the Super Bowl, that's just it. It's over. It's just done. And that's where we are right now. The Packers are done. Not five hours ago, I thought the Packers were going to the Super Bowl. Now we are recording a the first part, I guess, of the eulogy of the 2020 Packers season. And to be fair, there will be more seasons. There will be more games to watch, and we will cover them. But this season is over. And it may have been the last best shot to get Aaron Rodgers another Super Bowl. Feel like I said that last year. Almost went back and looked. But I didn't want to be thinking about negative outcomes to this game ahead of it. So here we are. The Packers have lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, despite the best efforts of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How did we get here? How did this happen? Three main things come to mind. The end of the first half sequence is the first one. Packers get the ball back with about two minutes to go. Make a big completion to Alan Lazard at the seam. And don't take a timeout. Instead, they let the clock run. And not long after that, Aaron Rodgers throws an interception. Okay? That's all right. You can live with that. It's only 14 to 10, right? At worst, we're going to go into the half 17 to 10. There's just no way Tom Brady has enough time to get the Buccaneers down the field. And he should not have. In fact, they shouldn't even have had a shot to get in the end zone because Will Redmond had an opportunity to intercept a Tom Brady pass, and he did not. He just flat out dropped the ball. He dropped it. Then, 
with seconds to go before the half, Kevin King makes what has to be the most disappointing play in a very disappointing Packers career. Why that call then from Mike Patton? Why Kevin King playing it the way that he did? Look at the replay sometime when you can bear to do so. Look at Kevin King running down the field, reaching behind himself, trying to find Scotty Miller. What went wrong that you put yourself in that position? How does that happen? If the thinking is that you're trying to avoid having him you know, break off his route and go short to the outside, why are you standing like that? If you're worried about him going deep, why are you doing that? The only conceivable thing Kevin King was doing on that play was try to stop Scotty Miller from getting to the middle of the field, which he absolutely is not going to do. The only conceivable things are a short out route or a deep shot. And Kevin King didn't defend for either one. There's also how the Packers approach the red zone generally on offense. By my count, there were at least eight points left on the field solely by dropped passes in the end zone. You've got Devontae Adams dropping the ball on a back shoulder pass. You can say that was slightly off target if you want. Extremely catchable ball, though. And you've got Equinemius St. Brown on the two-point conversion. Yes, it was tipped. It still hit him right in the hands. If you want to go further, you can talk about Devontae Adams misplaying the end line uh, just a couple plays after he dropped that ball on the back shoulder throw. And you can just continue to iterate from there. Why are they throwing exclusively anyway? How did Aaron Jones' injury factor into how they approached the red zone? Why those particular plays? Why no targets for Robert Tunyon down by the goal line? Heck, Mercedes Lewis was doing a good job getting lost in the secondary. Why not look his way? Why exclusively Devontae Adams? And why couldn't Alan Lazard just get his head around on that run-pass option? Finally, we can't not talk about the red zone decision at the end. Down eight, with let's just say about two minutes to go, the Packers failed to get in the end zone on three shots, okay? Including that Alan Alan Lazard run pass option. And instead of going for it on fourth down from the eight-yard line, Matt LaFleur decides to kick the field goal. And the Packers never touch the ball again. This I do not understand. Let's look at the possible outcomes here. First, you go for it and don't get it. Well, where are you? You got to get the ball back and get a touchdown and two-point conversion to tie. It's exactly where you were on third down. But your opponent is deep in their own territory. So if you do force a punt, chances are you're going to have pretty good field position. And you've got the two-minute warning and three timeouts with which to stop the clock. But let's say you do get it. You got to get the two-point conversion to tie. If you don't get that, you need to get the ball back again. But if you do, you're playing for a lead. And you've still got timeouts to try to stop the opposing team from getting that first down. 
So you do get that two-point conversion, though. When you get the ball back with your three timeouts and the two-point conversion or and the two-minute warning, you're playing for the win. You are ahead. That is just a really quick and dirty look at it, too. There is going to be no shortage of discussion over this point, and there already has been. I mean, you've all seen the quote of Aaron Rodgers going around saying that he thought they were going to have four shots to get in the end zone there. I don't even want to touch that part of this this discussion. We are going to have it, though, because it's just the way these things work. Uh, but it just seems like the decision the Packers made didn't put them in a position to win. Think about how that compares to Bruce Arians pulling the punt team off the field and deciding, you know what, we're going to go for it. Chance to go to Super Bowl is on the line. We're going to go all in. Just boggles the mind. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but another point that really affected this game was just kind of everything to do with the officiating. What a weirdly officiated game, right? I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but this rabbit hole does exist. The refs affected this game. They did. You cannot argue otherwise. And that take that goes, play so well, the refs can't take it away thing, is just an absolute canard. It doesn't make any sense if you think about it for more than two seconds. Your, your, your proposition there is utterly destroy what's presumably the second best team in your entire conference, led by a player many consider to be the greatest at his position ever. Not a position I subscribe to, by the way, uh, for reasons we'll talk about on another day. Um, but but that's that's what you're asking people to do. You're asking the Packers to play so well against a top-five DVOA defense that the refs can't possibly alter the game. You're asking the Packers to play so well against a top-five offense by DVOA that the refs can't affect the game. Is, that's insane. That's an insanely high bar. The refs affected this game. They just did. The holding call on Kevin King, that was a penalty. It was a penalty that should have been called. But the highlight video of plays that should have been called against Alan Lazard alone can fill several minutes now, including a game-altering interception in the first half that set up an entire sequence of events that we've already talked about. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get too sidetracked talking about the refs. But the refs did affect this game. And it was weird. We're going to let them play until we are not going to let them play. That's the way it goes, I guess. And these are hardly the only things that affected this game. You can talk about the end of half sequence. You can talk about the red zone. You can talk about that decision at the end. You can talk about the refs. But that's barely, it seems, scratching the surface. Packers gave up another big kickoff return. They gave third down conversions to the to the Buccaneers left, right, and center. Matt LaFleur again used AJ Dillon kind of weirdly. Why not use him down by the gold line? I'll never understand that. Again and again and again, at every turn, the Packers got in their own way. They did whatever they could to make sure that the Buccaneers won this game. And the Buccaneers were happy to oblige after trying their best to give it away. Now the Buccaneers are going to the Super Bowl. And the Packers are not. They're going to be at home. So what does this mean? We ask that after almost every Packers game. Sometimes we change the protocol a little bit and go with a different recap outline. What does this game mean? A couple of things. First, it means that the Packers wasted their best shot 
in a long time, and in what might be a long time. This was their best shot at a Super Bowl since 2014. This is their second best shot at a Super Bowl since Super Bowl 32. The most complete team, the quarterback playing at the highest level. And it just stings because of what this offseason is going to look like. The 2021 Packers are going to look very different from the 2020 Packers in many ways. And I know there's going to be speculation about Aaron Rodgers. Don't want to get into that. I feel like I'm saying that a lot on this podcast, but I'm trying to keep things in the here and now as much as we can while looking for it a little bit. The cap is going down. I'm still skeptical as to the most doom and gloom predictions out there, about $175 million, but it seems like it is going to go down, and that is going to affect the Packers. They may not get a shot like this again. Heck, they could come back next year with a better team and not get an opportunity like this again. Things happen. Second, this feels like the kind of loss that defines a coach. Unless Matt LaFleur wins a title, this is always going to be it. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Been a bridesmaid twice now. (laughs) Maid of honor, pretty much. And in a weird kind of way, there might be some kind of people who lump Matt LaFleur in the wasting Aaron Rodgers narrative. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if Matt or if Aaron Rodgers has ever really been wasted. I don't know if Matt LaFleur is really a part of that. But I think there's going to be people saying it. And I think they might have good reason to. Because whether the narratives are true or not, Matt LaFleur has been to the NFC Championship game now twice and now has lost twice in pretty humiliating fashion, although different humiliating fashions. That's quite an achievement in its own way. Finally, we're going to get another referendum on Aaron Rodgers. I've always been in, or I've already been into it a little bit with somebody about where, what this means in relation to Aaron Rodgers' all-time standing among the, the great quarterbacks ever, which is silly, but it's coming. By and large, I think Aaron Rodgers played pretty well in this one. Was he perfect? No. But even on those two three and outs after the second and third Tom Brady interceptions, I don't know how much of that you can really put on Rodgers. The first one, Alan Lazard drops a pass after getting held at least twice, at least two different times on one single play. That's incredible. But let him play, I guess. The second... At least two, maybe three offensive linemen get walked back directly onto Rodgers in the pocket. You want Rodgers to stay in the pocket? Okay, fine. But there has to be a pocket that exists. And both Wagner and Billy Turner were not great in this game. Now, they're going against top-level pass rushers. But, man, the loss of David Bakhtiari loomed large in this one. But all that stuff is going to go by the wayside. All that's going to get thrown up there is Aaron Rodgers 1-4 in in NFC Championship games or whatever it is, whatever that number is. 1 in 2010, 14, 16, 19, 20. Yep, 1-4. in 1-5 in if you count 2007, I suppose. But it's coming. We're, we're going to have this discussion about Rodgers 
now until the end of time. And I'm just already tired of the takes that are coming. So what happens next? We'll have the narratives. We'll have the discussions. We'll have all the debates, the classifications, things like that. Practically, though, what happens next? Well, unfortunately, I must be the first to welcome you to the long dark. The Packers will not play another meaningful football game for about eight months. It's a long, long time. But the one ray of hope is that we will be here with you. Two episodes a week, every week, as often as we can do it. And I don't have any plans to have a whole lot going on, so I'm going to keep right on doing it. So we will be here together, and there will be plenty to talk about. Practically speaking, the Packers have a few decisions bearing down upon them, though. First and foremost, I think they have a couple decisions to make here on the coaching staff. First and foremost, Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin, we have been having this debate about you for more than a year now. It was late in the 2019 season I first broached the idea of Mike Pettin not returning to the Packers. And one of the first things that Matt LaFleur did as head coach of the Packers is have a meeting with Mike Pettin to determine that he was going to remain the defensive coordinator. And then he had another meeting with him after the 2019 season, and now here we are. Mike Pettin's defense having played a significant part in the Packers' loss. It should be noted... They also played a significant part in keeping the Packers in that game at all because it could have gone absolutely, completely off the rails there in the second half if not for some very good play by Mike Pettin's defense. The run defense was very good. Coming up with three turnovers against Tom Brady is always a good thing. But just on balance here, you have to think it can be better than this, right? Sure, it could be worse. But there's got to be someone out there who can do better, who can get more out of this obviously talented defensive group than this, right? It just seems like it has to be true. Wade Phillips is a name that seems to come up a lot. Probably the most sought-after former defensive coordinator in the minds of Packers fans right now. He's the guy we got to get, right? I don't know. But he's at least a name, and he's there. And he's been successful in the past. Also on the Packers coaching staff is Sean Menenga. And I would think it almost has to be a foregone conclusion that he's gone. But I've been wrong before. More importantly, though, there's a real big looming question behind all of this. How does the Packers' power structure factor into these decisions? Supposedly, Matt LaFleur has the power to hire and fire his coordinators as he sees fit. Is that actually true, though? I don't think we know that for sure. Case in point, Mike Pettin. It seems when Matt LaFleur came aboard that he was all but instructed that he would have to keep Mike Pettin around. And as far as his special teams coordinator, Sean Menenga was not his first choice. That would be Darren Rizzi, the special teams coordinator of the New Orleans Saints, who's done a very good job for the Saints over the past couple of years. They had Rizzi in Green Bay for an interview, but could not meet the number that he wanted in terms of compensation. At least according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel's Tom Silverstein, they tried to meet that number later on, and actually did, but Rizzi had moved on by that point. 
They just could not come to an agreement. And it sounds like Matt LaFleur had to run that decision up the flagpole. That is a bit concerning, especially in an offseason where the Packers have real reason to consider changing coaches at a couple key coordinator spots. The other big thing the Packers have to look at here pretty early on is decisions on some free agents. Let's talk about two first and foremost. First, Aaron Jones. My position on Aaron Jones is pretty pretty well established at this point, and I think if you're looking for evidence as to why you might want to move on from a guy like Aaron Jones, just look how the Packers' offense did. First, trying to run the ball with him against a very good defense, and second, without him on the field. The Packers' offensive line, run-blocking-wise, is as good as they were, I think, before David Bakhtiari went out. Just what they did against the Rams, what they've done with Bakhtiari out of the lineup, they showed that they can move the ball even when he is not out there. Not necessarily as well, but still pretty, pretty darn good. But Aaron Jones did not find a lot of room to roam today. As talented a guy as he is, he did not find much of a way to get loose against a very, very good defense. It's almost like a lot of a running back success is for things out of his control. Secondly, with Aaron Jones out, with that chest injury after he fumbled for the second time, the Packers' offense did just fine. There weren't really any situations where you say, yeah, they really could have used Aaron Jones out there that they didn't also have Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon for. Jamal Williams had a couple of real nice catches in the passing game. There was one on a swing pass where Aaron Rodgers led him nicely down the sideline. That was a great catch, and that's something that Jamal Williams has worked on very hard over his career in Green Bay. He's become a much better receiver. A.J. Dillon had a nice little catch and run, too. But those are things that both of them can do that Aaron Jones does as well. And if a running back's real value is in the passing game, and those are the things they are asking from the from the runner, I'm not really sure that Aaron Jones is the guy there. The other big one that comes to mind here is Kevin King. And apologies to Ray here. You know who you are, if there's multiple Rays listening. But Ray wrote in with a question about uh, Kevin King's offseason prospects here, kind of from the perspective that, you yeah, know, there's a variety of ways that you can go on Kevin King. I don't know if that's true anymore. I don't know if you can really re-sign Kevin King after the debacle that we saw today. To say nothing of the end of the first half, he also gave up a pretty easy touchdown to Mike Evans, in which it seemed like he misplayed the ball very, very poorly. Just doesn't make plays on the ball consistently enough. He's going to be expensive because shopping at the cornerback store is pretty expensive, and boy, it's going to be a big cap crunch one way or another this offseason, either by the cap shrinking or just by the fact that the Packers have a bunch of um, expensive players. And there are, there are extensions on the, on the horizon for Jair Alexander and uh, beyond that, Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. And I would think they would rather not be in year three or four of Kevin King's contract extension when they get to that point. So I, I would have to assume that, uh, that Kevin King is on his way out. Beyond that, it's time to start prepping for the NFL draft. And I'm still working through how I want to approach the NFL draft this year because things are going to be a little bit different. We're going to have a bunch of localized pro days, which I don't love because those are different than the combine. There is going to be no traditional combine this year. So it's going to be a lot harder for us to look at exactly 
who's a real prospect this year. So I'm going to be leaning a lot more on outside sources this year, and I'm going to have to lean a lot on listeners too to talk about the people you want to talk about. But I think the Packers do have some uh, moves they can make here, and now we know where they fall in the draft order. So if there is a small, small upside to losing now, I guess it is that. Normally at this point I would do a bulleted list of observations from the game. It even says that in my notes here. Random thoughts slash observations, a bulleted list of thoughts. I do not have any more thoughts for you today. Stinks that it's over. I thought this was going to end with a Super Bowl title. I thought it was going to end with uh, Aaron Rodgers getting ring number two. I really thought that they had what it took to beat Tampa Bay. And I think the worst part of all of this is that this game shows that that was true. They had everything they needed to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They just didn't. And that's what it comes down to. The Packers are going home because they couldn't get out of their own dang way. And now here we are. But here's what I will say. I will leave you with this. A couple times this week, independently, though it almost seemed coordinated, a couple people reached out to say that they appreciated this show because it felt like talking about football with a friend. That meant a lot to me. In fact, reading one of the emails, I actually got choked up a little bit because, um, well, it just means a lot to hear from people. And without turning this into patting myself on the back, which I don't want to do, I just want to say that I hope that this is always a place where you feel like you can talk football with a friend, this show, Uh, because I do want to be a friend to anybody who needs it. And if that just means, you know, venting about stuff that uh, frustrates you and irritates you about how the Packers play, hey, that's a great thing we can do. But I will always be here talking Packers with you as a friend, win, lose, or draw, because it's friends, it's community, it's it's all that that goes into football that I think makes it extra special. Yeah, winning is great. But you have all that other stuff, whether you win or not. And I think that's pretty cool. So, thank you for listening to Blue 58 this season. We will be back on Wednesday as we start our look at the offseason and, uh, and what happened in this crazy year that was the 2020 Packers season. A season that ended a bit short of where I think we would have liked, but has ended Nonetheless, if you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you shared it with somebody you think might enjoy it as well. That's how we're going to continue to uh, grow this tent, grow the conversation we're having, get more people involved, and ultimately, hopefully, help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.